Matthew chapter 28, and I'll begin reading there at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and, then, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, here we are. Easter's over. The Easter season is over and we're done with Lent. We're done with Good Friday. We're done with the crucifixion. We're done with Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. We're done with the resurrection. And now life can get back to normal, right? It's sort of like after Christmas, but on a way lesser scale. But think about it. Does life really get back to normal after Easter? Think about this. When somebody dies, somebody to whom you're close, when somebody dies, does life ever get back to normal? It doesn't. You have to find an entirely new sense of normal. And for many people, that's a time when you kind of flounder. It's a time when, when, when you're unsure of things, when you don't know what to do with yourself. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Many of us have lost grandparents and parents and siblings or even children or spouses or others who have been huge parts of our lives. And normal just doesn't normally happen again. So Jesus died and rose from the dead. So now life can get back to normal for the disciples. Right? Well, not really. Because normal doesn't happen again. Jesus is going to be leaving soon, and he needs to prepare the 11 for a new normal, something that is going to change because the old is gone. What was normal for them for the last three years is over, and they have to get used to an entirely new sense of normal. And for us, it's the same thing. Jesus didn't just leave us to bask in the afterglow of the resurrection so that we could wait for glory and get on with life. He gave us something to do. He gave us a task. Now, the reality is that you and I tend to get involved with life, and the disciples did that as well. And after the resurrection, they started asking themselves the question, now what? Now what are we going to do? Because the life we knew, the life we had is gone. And Jesus sort of pops in and out of their life a couple of times. And if you read the account of the appearance to the disciples in Galilee in the book of John, 
you'll find that it's now the third time that Jesus appears to his disciples. So he's popped in and out a couple of times. But their thinking is, what are we going to do? They spent some time hanging around Jerusalem. It's like when somebody dies, they spent some time hanging around Jerusalem. But sooner or later, you have to get on with life. It's like losing someone you care about a great deal. There's a funeral. And everybody goes home. But now what do you do? Life still needs to be lived. People need to be looked after. Work needs to get done. And somebody needs to make a living. And the disciples, they're guys. And so they decide to do what guys do normally do. What do we as guys do most of the time? We work, right? You don't know what to do, you go to work. And so they decide, seven of them decide, they're going to go fishing. Because it's what they did. It's work. Like, we have to find another sense of normal here, and the normal we had with Jesus is gone, so let's get back to the normal we had before we got to know Jesus, and they decide to go back to work. Some of us had a great conversion experience. You had a former life, and now you have a new life, and there's the excitement and the headiness of a new relationship and a new life, but if you're like me, Christianity has always been a part of your life. I've gone to church ever since I was little. It's what we know as normal. And Easter comes and goes and it has come and gone for many years. And then after Easter, I just kind of get back to life the way I know it. You see, because somebody needs to be looked after and work needs to get done and somebody needs to make a living, right? Now, we, we, we probably won't admit this. And if you're smart, you'll only admit it to yourself. But it seems to be that the general consensus, the general feeling and practice is that what, what Jesus said was, just hang around and tough it out until I get back. And try not to mess up too much while you're at it, but if you get into situations you can't handle, you can call me. Now, we would probably never admit that we think like that. But don't we sort of live our lives like that? That Jesus said, okay, now you're a Christian. Just kind of hang around and tough it out until I get back. Try not to mess up too much, but if you do mess up and you get yourself into a whole heap of trouble, you can call me and I'll help you get out of it. Now you and I know that that's not what Jesus said. But we live like that because... People need to get looked after. Work needs to get done. And somebody needs to make a living. And so we do what needs to get done. We just go through life 
and we wait for him to come back. But the reality is that Jesus didn't die for us so we could hang around and wait for him to come back. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We don't like that concept of authority. We resent authority. All of us do. And it started before God made heaven and earth when Satan fell from heaven and a third of the angels fell with him. And Satan said to himself, I will become like the Most High. And we resented authority in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to Eve and said, Did God really say? And we still resent authority. We say things like rules are made to be broken, right? When you set your cruise on your vehicle, what do you set it for? If you're like me, about 109, right? We, we drive through stop signs. All you need to do is like, like stop just means slow down and don't even look, right? Rules are made to be broken. Load limits. Who obeys the load limits when you're trucking? I trucked for years. Nobody obeys the load limits unless you have an opportunity of being caught. When somebody says to you, leave early in the morning so you can avoid the scales, that says to me as a trucker that I'm overloaded. I'm doing something illegal. The ferry that sank in Korea was only supposed to carry so many tons of weight and it had about three times the amount of cargo on it that it was supposed to have. That's what they're saying now. We'll wait for the final results to come out of the investigation. But rules are made to be broken. We resent authority. We hate rules. I remember when I was a teenager, we had I lived in a town about the size of Nippuan, uh, and every Friday night, we as teenagers had a contest with the cops to see who was going to get stopped and who was going to get away. We rode around on our motorcycles every Friday night. It was, it was just the reality. Somebody was going to get stopped. It was just one of the rules. Of, I play hockey with a lot of police officers. Now my comments to them is, boy, you guys have really smartened up a lot since I was a teenager because I hardly ever get stopped anymore. The last time I got pulled over, it was in some town in Colorado, right? And, and, and I apologized to the sheriff, and he was a very nice man and let us get away with it. So, I mean, it was, it was good. How many of you take an exact 10-minute coffee break when you're at work? Because rules are made to be broken, right? And we defy authority at every level whether it's at home, whether it's at school, whether it's at church. Some of you are not going to fill out that, that colored form because, simply because I asked you to. Ah, see, Hannah's reaching. <laughs> but we defy authority. We don't like authority. We defy authority at every level, whether it's the way we park, whether it's the way we drive, or whether it's the way we walk. There's no parking sign out there in the church parking lot. People park right in front of it. Why? I don't like being told what to do. 
My grandson is learning to drive. My oldest grandson is learning to drive. It's interesting. He's taking driving driver's ed at the high school. And to watch him drive, he follows all the rules. His driving instructor is hard on him. You don't drive like that, do you? I don't drive like that. Why not? Because I can't be bothered. Right? I know how to drive. Nobody needs to tell me how to drive. I've been driving for 40 some odd years. We defy authority. We hate authority. We defy it at every possible opportunity. And some of us feel perfectly justified in defying authority just because we don't like it. And then Jesus comes and he says, all authority. And authority means that he has the right and the power to act. He says, all authority, not just some, but all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Where did he get that? From his father. 1 Corinthians 15 says that when, when, when everything comes together under Christ, then, then he will put all that together under his father. And the, the head of Christ is God, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us. And Jesus said, all authority, all power and right to rule has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That, you know what that makes him? It makes him the top dog. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it makes him the ultimate and final authority. Me, Jesus Christ. And then he uses this little word that is so confusing in the next, not confusing, but when you see it in your Bible, you need to ask yourself a question. And that little word is therefore. It's in the very next verse. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, therefore, Go and make disciples. Now, when you see the word therefore, you need to ask, why, what's that therefore? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So because all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, you go and make disciples. So the one who has the authority is telling you and me what to do to go and make disciples. He didn't say, hang around and tough it out until I get back. He said, go and make disciples. But Lord, it's hard. And I don't feel like doing it. And it's scary. And it's, it's inconvenient. And, and i got to go to work. And, and I've got kids to look after. And, and I'm getting old. And, and, and my health isn't what it used to be. And, and, and people might make fun of me. And... and Look, Jesus didn't say hang around and wait to get old. Did he? He said, go and make disciples. Learners, followers, how do you do that? 
by baptizing and teaching, which is a whole lot more than converting. And learning for you and me is a lifelong process for which there is no retirement age. In Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That's how you do that. How do you make disciples? You go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Now, next week, we're going to look at the sphere of that. How does that work? How can we practically put that to use or put that into action? You see, compare that, compare those words with hang around and wait until I get back and tough it out. He didn't say that. Or just get on with life and do the best you can and try not to get into trouble. And when you do, give me a shout. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all good news to all creation. And the disciples, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two others, seven of them said in John chapter 25, I'm going back to work. But Jesus had other plans, and so he gives them a fishing lesson. They went out fishing, and Jesus is standing there on the shore of the lake and says, you know, guys, catch anything? No. He says, chuck your nets out the other side. And they catch this huge, miraculous catch of fish, and Peter finally recognizes who is standing there on the lakeshore talking to him, and Peter, being Peter, jumps into the water and starts swimming. Which is interesting, because he needed the Lord to save him when he was drowning, when, when he was walking on water. Remember that one? And the Bible says that the boys were kind of embarrassed. They didn't ask, dare ask Jesus who he was. They knew who he was. They didn't quite recognize him, but they knew who he was. And they got busted. They got literally caught with their pants down. They were fishing when they should have been doing something else. Jesus said, go and make disciples. They said, we're going to work. I don't think so. And then Jesus leaves us with a promise. And he said, surely, in verse 20, surely I am with you always. I remember getting sent off to a logging camp to go to work and four hours away from home and I went and asked this man for a job and he said, here's the truck and, uh, and camp is four hours away from here and you drive up in there and he says, you, you report yourself to the people there and, and go to work and let me know how you make out. I was all by myself, all alone. Jesus didn't say, go and do that and, and, and I'll check up on you in a couple of weeks or so. Jesus said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so here's the question, or here's, here's the rub. You see, we worship Jesus, right? We come to church, we tell him, we love him, we sing songs about him. And we sing, sing songs to him, and we praise him, but we don't obey him. So what's with that? 
What's holding you and me back from doing that? And when I think about my own life, I think, what's holding me back? What's holding me back from radical obedience to Jesus Christ? And I think in my case, it's mostly fear. What are other people going to think? What if I mess up? What if I don't do it well enough? Maybe somebody will criticize me or make fun of me. I probably won't meet the standards and I'll feel like an idiot. Maybe it's better to let people think I'm a fool than to open my mouth and prove it. Because if I obey Jesus, it's really going to mess up my life. What about you? What's holding you back? Are you hanging on to your self-image? I'm not saying you need to sell everything and leave town, but what's holding you from going out and preaching the gospel or proclaiming the good news or making disciples? Is it your self-image, your possessions, your position? I don't know. I'm reading a book right now. It's called Kisses from Katie. Uh, and it's a fantastic story. It's a story of a young woman who, who made a trip to Uganda. She decided at the age of 16 that she was going to spend a year doing missions work before she went to college. And her mom and dad said, okay, but just a year and then you're going to college. And so she went to Uganda and got involved in an orphanage. And now she has uh, adopted numerous young girls and, and, and is providing education for hundreds of them. She said, I, I never expected this. The kids call me mommy. I'm 19 years old. Right now, she's, I think she's 25 years old. But she said, the kids call me mummy. I never expected this. My parents didn't want this for me. I left my home in, in Tennessee, my nice little convertible that I had, my, my boyfriend. I left my, my family, and I'm here in Uganda. And she said, this is where God has put me. And you know the story of Peter and how Peter was always the guy that... Um, put his mouth in motion before his brain in gear, you know, he put his foot in his mouth and, and all the rest of the story. Now, Katie is, is, uh, comes from a, a Roman Catholic perspective and you need to recognize that when I read this little story. But when she, one day she writes, and this was in uh, November of 2007, that she wrote this. And she said, one day, Peter is the rock on which God built his church. But first, Peter was probably the worst disciple ever. I am Peter. Jesus tells Peter that he, Peter, will deny him three times. Peter says, no, I love you. I could never deny you, Lord. Yet we all know that Peter does, in fact, deny Jesus three times. I know in my heart and my soul and the core of my being that I love the Lord, that I would do anything for him, go to the ends of the earth for him, but how often do I forget to give the glory to his name? How often do I take compliments without giving him the credit? Do I, like Peter, deny Jesus the glory that was his? Jesus told his disciples that it was God's will for him to be arrested. He went willingly when the soldiers came to take him, but enthusiastic, loving Peter raised his sword and cut off a soldier's ears. 
Put your sword away, Jesus commanded. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I am Peter. I have my own time frame. When I don't see things happening, I try to make them happen. And Jesus says, put away your sword, put away your plans. Shall we not do what the Father has asked of us? So, like Peter, I put away my plans, my defenses, and watch as everything happens perfectly in God's own timing. After Jesus had risen, he appeared to his disciples while they were fishing. When Peter saw his beloved Savior, he excitingly jumped out of the boat and began swimming to where Jesus stood. Needless to say, the boat probably reached the shore long before Peter. I am Peter, excitedly jumping into things and then standing sopping wet at the feet of the Lord, smiling at my stupidity. I get excited, forget to think things through, and end up doing them the long way. Every time, though, just as with Peter, Jesus welcomes my soaking wet self into his arms and is simply happy to see me. I am Peter who made many mistakes, but I am Peter for whom God had great plans, whom God established to do his work. Peter is the rock on which Jesus built his church. The very night when Peter foolishly jumped out of the boat, Jesus reinstated him in the presence of the other disciples. Do you truly love me, he asked? Then feed my lambs. Do you really love me? Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep and come follow me. For each time I deny God the glory that is his. For each time I follow my will instead of listening to his. For each time I jump ahead without first consulting my Lord, he asks, Daughter, do you truly love me? And I do. Feed my sheep, and I will, and I do. Come, follow me, and I am, or at least I am trying. I am Peter. I mess up. I make mistakes. I am far from perfect, and God will use me. God will establish great things through me. You are Peter. God already knows that you will make a mess, but his plan for you is great. Go feed his sheep. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that in spite of the messes we make, in spite of who we are, that you choose to love us and to use us anyway. Jesus, you said you have been given all authority, therefore go and make disciples. Lord, help us to do that. Help us not to just come to the gathering on a Sunday morning and kind of just tough it out until Jesus comes back. Help us, Lord, to fit into your plans. Lord, what is it that you would have us do this week? Where is it that you would have us go this week? Who is it, Lord, to whom you would have us speak this week? That we might proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and get involved in this discipleship-making process.
In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing with me a song. The song is, uh, if you have a hymn book handy, it's number 30, but it's called Jesus Shall Reign Where'er the Sun. There are four verses to this song. And it's a song of triumph and it's a song of faith. Let's stand and sing this together. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. From north to south the princes meet to pay their homage at his feet while western empires own their lord and savage tribes attend his word to him shall endless prayer be made and endless praises crown his head. His name like sweet perfume shall rise with every morning sacrifice. People and realms of every tongue dwell on his love with sweetest song and infant voices shall proclaim their early blessings on his name. Jesus has told us what to do. Now make it so. We're dismissed.